Well, I want to say good morning. Uh, I want us to do something very, very different. I want all of you to stand to your feet, if you don't mind, okay? We're going to do a little drill here together, okay? I want everybody to stretch real big like this, real big like this. Yeah, okay, all right. Then I want you to give the Lord a hand, all right? Then I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say two words, stay awake. All right, great. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me tell you why I wanted you to do that. I'm jet lagged and I needed it worse than you did, okay? I just got back from uh, Israel and Paris last night, had a great trip. And, uh, but I, I really do, I, I feel good. Uh, you have one major assignment this morning. Do not go to sleep before I do, all right? Now, I don't know whether you like country music or not. How many of you, if you don't mind admitting, you like country music? Okay, I like country, good. All right, I like country music too. And um, I have a playlist with some of the top country music songs that I like. And there's a song that I heard many years ago by Shania Twain. And the moment I heard it and I saw the video, in fact, I remember we were on vacation down in Florida, the first time I saw the video. And it became one of those, uh, that song's for me and Teresa songs, you know? Because I didn't just love the lyrics, I love the title. Now, not all country music uh, you know, titles are good ones, right? You've heard the one, you know, I wouldn't take her to a dog fight even if I thought she could win. I mean, there are just some titles that are not good titles, right? We all agree with that, okay? But this title was different. It was forever and for always. And what the song is about, it's about two people who start a relationship when they're just kids. And they go from being friends to kind of falling in love and they stay in love the rest of their lives. And I love this part of the song that goes like this. Cause I'm keeping you forever and for always. We will be together all of our days. And as I listened to that song, it occurred to me, you know, there's a spiritual message in that song. As a matter of fact, that four word title, forever and for always expresses a promise that God gives us in scripture and a truth that is important to everyone who either is a follower of Jesus or would like to become a follower of Jesus. Because as I thought about this message, you can basically put people in this planet into one of four categories to describe where they are with God. In fact, I'm gonna add a fifth one later, but right now, let me just give you four, okay? First of all, there are people who don't have a relationship with God and they don't want to. And I'm telling you, Atlanta, Georgia's filled with people like that. The state of Georgia's filled with people like that. America's filled with people like that. I just left a country. It's a very secular country, France. It's a beautiful country, beautiful city. Jesus, God, not even on their radar screen. And there are all kinds of reasons why people don't care to have a relationship with God. They're not interested in one. They're hostile. They're indifferent. But there are people who basically will tell you, I don't believe in God or I don't care if there is a God and I'm satisfied with my life. And there are even some people, they're determined they're gonna die without a relationship with God. Then there are people who don't have a relationship with God, but they want to have one. They, they realize something's missing in my life. There, there's a void, there's an emptiness in my heart. I've tried everything from sex to drugs to success to money to alcohol, and there's still this hole in my life that nothing can fill. And they're in a desperate or a crisis situation and it's driven, to, driven them to look for some higher power. And there are people out there, their heart is ripe 
And their heart is increasingly open to finding out if there really is a God and having a relationship with that God. But then there are people who do have a relationship with God and they are sure that they have a relationship with God. Now, in this category, I'm kind of begging a question because there are people who are sure they have a relationship with God, but they really don't. And I believe there's some in this room. I believe there's some watching at our Mill Creek campus. Some who are watching online right now who you think you've got a relationship with God. You think you and God are cool, but you're really not. And I say this with all respect. But if Christianity is true and Jesus was who he said he was and he did what he said he did, then only someone who has a relationship with Jesus really has a relationship with God. And so this third category I'm talking about I would call them followers of Jesus. That, that's really my favorite term, what many people would call Christians. These, these are people who have a relationship with God through Jesus, and they're absolutely sure that they do. But then there's a fourth category. And again, I'm referring to people who are followers of Christ. These are people who do have a relationship with God, and they're sure that they do, but they're afraid they can lose it. And primarily, I want to talk to that group of people today. And secondarily, I want to talk to that group of people who are sure that they have a relationship with God, but they really don't. I want you to hear this before I, before I get into this message. I am not trying to make anybody doubt that you have what you have. That's not my purpose. On the other hand, what I also don't want to do is make you think you have something that you don't. Both are equally as dangerous. So also, hopefully, if you are in either one of those other groups, after what you hear about what Jesus has to say, you'll want to move to the last group. So let me explain where I'm going. It is one thing to have a relationship with God. It is another thing to have a relationship with God and be sure that you have a relationship with God. But it's another thing entirely to believe you have a relationship with God to be sure you have a relationship with God and to know that that relationship is forever and for always. So in other words, this is the question I'm going to answer for us this morning. Is a real relationship with God permanent or conditional? Is there any fine print in the contract? Somebody put the question this way. Once a person has been born again into the family of God, received new life, a new nature, been justified, sealed by the Holy Spirit, can that individual ever become unsaved by sinning or ceasing to believe or by any other cause? Now, frankly, with all respect, there are people I'm very close to, people I know very well, people in parts of my family who don't believe, or who do believe that. They believe you can be unsaved. They believe you can lose your salvation. So you're a follower of Jesus. You have a relationship with God. You are sure that you do. Simple question. Can you lose that relationship? Can you do something to forfeit that relationship? Can you lose that salvation? That's the question. You say, well, why are you talking about it? Well, recently I was with a, a group of believers in our church. We were having a biblical discussion. And one of my dear friends, a man who's been coming to the church for many, many years, was, uh, was talking, and, and as he was expressing something he believed, I realized, wait a minute, you're, you're telling me you believe a person can lose their salvation. 
And he actually came out of a religious background that taught that. And he looked at me kind of surprised and he said, well, sure I do, don't you? And I said, well, no, I don't. And he's a great guy. But out of that conversation, we both agreed, you know, it would probably be good not just for him, but for us to discuss this and settle it according to the word of God. And Jesus does us a big favor. In a gospel called John, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John chapter 10, Jesus addresses this question head on. And as we study this passage, Jesus does us two big favors. And this is why this is a message you really need to kind of hone in on. Turn your cell phone off. Don't be texting. Listen, because this is very important for most every, if not everyone, most everyone listening to me right now. He does us two big favors. Number one, he identifies those who really do have a relationship with God. And then he verifies how permanent that relationship is. He identifies those who really are Christians. And then he verifies how permanent that relationship is. So, if you would like to know whether or not you truly have a relationship with God and you can be sure of it and you can never lose it, Jesus says, then you ask yourself three questions. Question number one, am I sensitive to the word of Jesus? If you want to know whether or not you really are a Christian or you're just calling yourself one, the question is, am I sensitive to the word of Jesus. Now, Jesus begins by identifying who he's talking about. Now, remember, he's talking to. He's addressing a crowd of Pharisees. They were kind of the religious PhDs of their day. He was talking to Sadducees. They were kind of the religious attorneys of that day. He was talking to critics. He was talking to skeptics. He was talking to unbelievers. He was talking to people who were opposing him. They were denying everything he said about himself. And they're badgering him about who he claimed to be. And they said to him, okay, just, face, just tell us just right now, face to face. If you are the Messiah, just tell us plainly that you are. And here's what Jesus says, John 10, verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But now listen to what he says. But you do not believe. Why? Because it's unbelievable? No. Because it's irrational? No. Because it's unreasonable? No. Because people just want to get hooked on a religious myth. They need a crutch to walk on in their life? No. He said, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. In other words, Jesus said, the reason you don't believe in me is not because of me. It's because of you. The reason you don't believe because believe in me is not because you got a problem with me. It's because you got a problem with you. It's not my problem. It's your problem. He said, "If you want to be blunt, you know why you don't believe to me, believe in me, because you don't belong to me. If you belonged to me, you would believe in me." So he goes on to say this: "My sheep listen to my voice. My sheep listen." To my voice. Now, Jesus is talking about his sheep. He's talking about what is only true about his sheep, okay? So remember something. Not everyone that says, uh, is a sheep. Now, I worked on that while I was in Israel. You ought to be proud of me, all right? Not everyone that says, uh, is a sheep. Because if you don't hear when Jesus speaks, if you don't hear in the words of Jesus, the word of a man who was God in the flesh, the word of a man who was the son of God, the word of a man who was the Messiah of the Jews, the word of a man who was the savior of the world, 
The word of a man who is the Lord of the universe is because you are not one of his sheep. I, I, I read about a lady who walked into a, a china shop to buy some stemware. She walked in and she said, I'd like to buy some of your stemware. He says, well, ma'am, what kind are you looking for? She said, I would like to buy all of your glasses that are pitched to the key of A. And he looked at her and he said, lady, now how am I supposed to know which of all these glasses I have in my store are pitched to the key of A? With a smile, she opened up her purse, pulled out a tuning fork, struck it, and immediately every one of those glasses that were tuned to the key of A vibrated. When I read that story, I thought to myself, you know, if you're a true sheep, when you hear the word of God, when you hear the things that Jesus said and Jesus taught, your heart will vibrate. You will live your life by listening to Jesus and nobody else. You will recognize when he is speaking. You will realize what he is saying. You will respond to his commands. You will say, Lord Jesus, it must be true because you said it. And I must do it because you're the one that commanded it. So if you truly belong to Jesus, here's what that means. You will have eyes to see his truth. You will have ears to hear his truth. And you'll have a heart that receives his truth. Because there are two kinds of people in this world and only two kinds. You ready? There are people who are spiritually discerning and there are people who are spiritually deaf. There are the only two kinds of people in the world. People who are spiritually discerning and people who are spiritually deaf. There are people who hear the voice of Jesus and immediately their heart vibrates and they know this man's speaking like nobody else has ever spoken. This man's not like Muhammad, a prophet. He's not like a Buddha. He's not like a Hare Krishna. This man is totally different. This man speaks like God. This man speaks like a creator. This man speaks like the Lord of the universe. But then there are people who are spiritually deaf. Uh, they don't hear what Jesus says because they can't hear and they can't hear because they won't. Here, let me give you an illustration. I want you to imagine your phone rings and you don't have caller ID, okay? You, you, don't, have, you, you don't have any, or, or maybe somebody calls you and the number's blocked. So you, you don't know the identity of the caller but before you, know, you pick up the phone, but you go ahead and answer the phone. Now I want you to imagine when you answer the phone, the person on the other line only says two words. It's me. That's all they say. It's me. Now, logically, that caller statement has to be true, right? I mean, who else could it be but them? So it has to be true. Theoretically, it could be anybody making that statement. But relationally, if you know that person and you know that person's voice and you have a real relationship with that person, you immediately know who that person is. Teresa, I've been married over 40 years. When Teresa calls me, Sometimes she'll just say, you know, I won't even be paying attention. And I'll say, hello. She'll say, it's me. Never in 40 plus years of marriage have I ever said, who is this? And I better not ever say, who is this? And I better not say, oh, hi, Sally. How are you? Immediately, I know who her voice sounds like. I know who she is. Jesus said, if you're one of my sheep, the minute I speak, the moment I speak, you go, oh yes, I know who that is. That's the Lord talking. But then Jesus goes on to say something that's shockingly surprising. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Now watch this. And then he says, I know them. All right, let's see how smart you are. 
What would you have expected Jesus to have said? What? They know me. Right? You say, hey, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. He didn't say that. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Now, that's kind of a surprise. He didn't say they know me. He says, I know them. Now, why did he say I know them? Listen carefully. Because not everyone who says they know Jesus knows Jesus. Don't ever forget that. If I've learned one thing in my ministry, I've learned it. Not everyone who says they know Jesus knows Jesus. The ones who truly know Jesus are known by Jesus. Earlier, Jesus said this. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now, if you really want to know you're really one of the sheep, here's the question I'd ask you very simple. You really want to know whether or not you belong to Jesus? Simple question. Does he know you? I didn't say, does he know who you are? I know he knows who you are. Does he know you? See, you can claim to know someone without really knowing someone. And you can claim that you know someone without them knowing you. Because there are people in this world who don't know anything about Jesus. There are people in this world who know some things about Jesus. And then there are people who know Jesus and he knows them. I've told you before the story of when I had the opportunity in a golf course not too far from here, had the opportunity of sharing the gospel with Michael Jordan. And, and I got to have a conversation with him. Now, when Michael Jordan walked up and started hitting golf ball next to me, he didn't have to introduce himself to me. I knew exactly who Michael Jordan was. He didn't have a clue who I was. Now, when the day was over, suffice to say, I know who Michael Jordan is, but I can say, honestly, he doesn't know me. Jesus said one day there will be a multitude of people who will stand before him and they're going to be rejected. They think they're going to be accepted, but they're going to be rejected. And do you know what Jesus is going to say to them? Listen to this. Jesus is going to say, I never knew you, but Lord, I knew you, but I never knew you. But Lord, but I never knew you. Away from me. So here's my question to you. Does Jesus know you? And you better make sure he knows you. Because if he does, here's what will be true about you. You will only dance to the beat of one drummer and it will be the voice of Jesus. If you're one of his sheep, you are sensitive to the word of Jesus. Here's the second question you better ask. Am I surrendered to a walk with Jesus? Am I sensitive to the word of Jesus? Am I surrendered to a walk with Jesus. Now, the second way you can know if you're a sheep is not just with your ears. Do I hear him? Do I hear his voice? Do I recognize his voice? But also, it's with your feet. Listen to what he said. He said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, that's pretty plain. Jesus said, if you are truly one of my sheep, you follow the shepherd. I.e., you don't just talk the talk on Sunday morning. You walk the walk every day. If you really know me and I know you, you really follow me. If you're a sheep, you don't live like a goat. You don't live on the outside differently than what you say you believe on the inside. That's why I honestly prefer the term Christ follower to the, to, to the word Christian. I, I, I don't really use that word anymore. But it's probably the most abused 
and the most misused and the most overused word in the English language, at least in the religious world, is the word Christian. I promise you, pick any street in any city in America. Go ask 100 people on that street, what is a Christian? You'll get 100 different answers, I guarantee you. You will not get, rarely, the same answer. But if you are truly a Christ follower, then you're always asking two questions in your life. The first question is, what would Jesus say in this situation? What would he say? And then number two, what would Jesus have me do in this situation? What would he say in this situation? What would he have me do in this situation? Because the truth of the matter is, if you're not following Jesus, the reason Jesus says is, you're really not hearing Jesus. Now, let me give you some of, some of you a caution here, and I want to get very personal. I've seen it happen in my whole ministry. There are people who come to church every single week all over the country, and you think just because way back when you walked down an aisle, or you filled out a card, or you got baptized, you got a certificate, or you got a member, you, you became a member of a church that you're good to go. And I wish I could say that about everyone I've seen do that, but it's not true. I'm just gonna be honest. I have seen so many people in my ministry, they walked down the aisle, they filled out the card, they got baptized, and three months later, the FBI can't find them. I call them Alka-Seltzer Christians. You drop them in the water, they fizzle for a while, and they disappear. Just gone. And I'm not trying to be funny when I say that, but I want you to hear me. Just putting on a uniform doesn't make you a soldier. Just putting on a badge doesn't make you a policeman. It truly is what you do after you say that you have come to Jesus that proves whether or not you really have come to Jesus. Now again, I'm gonna get very honest here and I'm gonna say this one more time. I am not trying to get anybody to doubt what you have, but I am not gonna try to make you sure you've got something you don't. Because the truth of the matter is there may be some of you right now who doubt you have a relationship with God and to be perfectly honest, you probably should doubt it because you probably don't. You probably should doubt you have a relationship with God because you probably don't. Because there's some legitimate questions we should all ask ourselves on occasion. On occasion, for example, does my life show that I'm really following Jesus? I mean, forget Sunday. We all can put on the facade on Sunday. We all can put on the mask on Sunday. We all can play Halloween on Sunday. Let's go to Monday. Do the people that you work with, do the people you do business with, Though the people you live next door to, can they at least just look at your life and say, you know what, there's something really different about that person. That person really means business with Jesus. Can people tell by the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I act, that I'm following someone they're not following? Am I really marching to the beat of a different drummer or is it just go along to get along? Just whatever the crowd does, when in Rome you do what they do. Jesus is not an insurance salesman that comes just to give you some fire insurance. When Jesus comes to you, he's coming as a king, he's coming as a Lord, he's coming as a master, and he expects nothing else, nothing less, and nothing but that you totally follow him. That's why when I, I get up and give the gospel, I always talk about, and you've, I, I use my words very carefully and specifically, 
following Jesus in baptism. And that's why it's such a big deal. That's why the, the, the biggest mystery I'm facing in my ministry right now are people that will fill out a card, say they gave their life to Jesus, say they've trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. We explain why they need to be biblically baptized and they'll walk out of this church. They won't return a phone call. They won't return an email. We can't get a hold of them. We have to beg, plead, push, and cajole to get them baptized. So I wanna make something very plain. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. I'm, that's not my point. But Adrian Rogers was right. If you don't love Jesus enough to get into a pool of water, why do you think you love him enough to go to heaven? And there's some of you in this room, you've never been biblically baptized, ever. And it's not a matter of doing the Baptist thing or the, you know, the church thing. It's a matter of doing the Jesus thing. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. And here's how I know they know my voice. They follow me. So when I tell them to get baptized, they say, aye, aye, sir. When I tell them they should give their tithes to the church, they say, yes, sir, Lord. They follow me. Here's the third thing, third question. Am I sure of the work of Jesus? Am I sensitive to the word of Jesus? And now am I sure of the work of Jesus? Now, that Jesus has identified who his sheep are. Now what he does is he tells us about the benefits of being one of his sheep, all right? Here's the benefits, watch this. He says, I give them eternal life. Let's say that together, ready? I give them eternal life. Now that's the crux of the entire matter. That's the ball game. Jesus doesn't say, I sell them eternal life. Jesus doesn't say, I loan them eternal life. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. Now, the two key words there are give and eternal. First of all, if it's a gift, you can't earn it. And if it's eternal, you can't lose it. Because if eternal life is, is earned by being good, then it can be lost by being bad. But if you lose it before you get it, it wasn't eternal. So let's listen again to what he said. I give them eternal life. He did not say, I will give them eternal life. He said, I give them eternal life. And this is something you need to understand about eternal life. Eternal life is not something you get when you die. It is something you get when you believe. Listen, some people have this idea that you get eternal life when you die and go to heaven. There are some people that are so unsure about their salvation, they think this is how they're gonna get to heaven. They hope they get to heaven. They feel like they're going to heaven. They're praying they'll get to heaven, but they're not sure of it. And sure enough, they die and they go to heaven and they run into heaven and slam the door and go, so glad I made it. That's not eternal life. Here's a newsflash. If you don't have eternal life before you die, you're not gonna get it after you die. Did you hear me? If you don't have eternal life before you die, you're not going to get it after you die. You either have it now and you have it forever or you don't have it at all. It is eternal life. 
Now, do you know what the word eternal means? Well, Shania Twain is not only a good country singer, she's a great theologian. Because that word eternal means forever and for always. That's exactly what the word means. You know, if you've ever bought anything expensive, like, like say a new car or a new television or a washer dryer, and something breaks, you haven't had it very long or whatever, and it needs repairing, so you call to get it repaired, right? You, you call the company or whatever. There are five words that, that that person or that company can say to you, five words that will make you weep, scream, faint, shake, collapse, and even consider suicide. You know what those five words are? The warranty has run out, right? The warranty has run out. Listen to me. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you can be sure that under his divine, eternal, forever, and for always warranty, his warranty never runs out. Never. That's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 28, and they shall never perish. Now, if you teach English, you'll appreciate this. They, he does something in the Greek you're not supposed to do in English. In the Greek language, it's actually a double negative. You know what a double, some of you folks remember in your grammar, you don't use double negatives, you really shouldn't. But in the Greek, they sometimes would use a double negative to make a point. And when you literally translate this verse, this is what John said. And they shall never, not ever, forever, ever perish. That's literally what he said. They shall never, not ever, forever, ever perish. Physical life can be taken away from you, but your spiritual life can never be taken away from you. And then to close the deal, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, I want you to look at the picture that Jesus paints. This is so beautiful and it's so encouraging. When you give your life to Christ, when you make a decision, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Here's what happens. God the Father puts you in the hand of Jesus. That's pretty secure. But then he has Jesus close his hand and then he puts his hand around the hand of Jesus and in effect, he gives us in a double grip. So we have, in effect, a double wall of security. Some of you may have one of these. Many years recently, I had a safety deposit box at the bank. And we had certain special family things, family heirlooms, rare coins and valuables that we didn't want to keep at the house. So we went to a bank. I will forget the day that we did it. We went to this bank, and, and so we told them what we wanted to do. We rented a security box. So we went into this fireproof. Uh, they put them in a fireproof box. They showed they said the box is fireproof. Then it was securely locked. Then to make sure that no one would tamper with the valuables inside, they took us to a vault. They put it in this vault behind this heavy steel door. Then there was a secret code that was known only to me and Teresa. Nobody else knew it. There was a secret code that we had to give someone to the bank so that we could just get into the vault. To the vault. But we still couldn't get into the box. There was another code that only two of us had that we had to have to get into the box. And we never worried about losing those vabbles. I never went to sleep, and, you know, wondering, man, I, I wonder if I still have those vabbles. I wonder if they'll be there tomorrow. I wonder if they'll be there next week. Never, never, never lost a bit of sleep because I was trusting, trusting the safety of those vabbles to the bank. And Jesus says, your salvation, your gift of eternal life, your position in the family of God 
is thoroughly in the hands of God the Son and God the Father. That means nobody, listen now, nobody, not the devil, not all of the demons, not any power above or any power below, no physical or spiritual being can ever snatch you out of the Father's hand. Now, this is why this is so important, and this is where a lot of people get confused. Our eternal security does not depend on our grip on God, but on his grip on us. Because I got news for all of us in this room, and I hate to burst your bubble, and I hate to kind of prick your pride, but there is nobody in this room so good enough and so godly enough that you can hold on to God by yourself. You can't do it. You will fail and you will fall. It will happen. But it doesn't depend upon my holding on to him. It depends on his holding on to me. He said, okay, so what does that mean? All right, let me put it to you very simply. Here's how secure we are if we're truly followers of Jesus. We are just as secure as God is. I'm not as secure as my faith is. I'm not as secure as my determination is. I'm not even as secure as my perseverance is. I'm not as secure as my will is. I am as secure as God is. And there is no power strong enough to pry open the hand of Jesus, much less the hand of God. That means you can't do it and the devil can't do it. And I've actually talked to people who kind of tried to argue. And they'll say, no, whoa, 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 wait a minute. They'll say, how do you know the devil can't do it? How do you know that? I mean, the devil's pretty powerful, right? I mean, he's more powerful than anybody in this room, more powerful than you are, more powerful than I am. By yourself, we all know this. On your own, you don't stand a chance against the devil. You get in a ring with the devil on your own, he's gonna whip you every single round. You won't win one round. You won't even land a punch. See, so I've had people say, well, now, wait a minute. How do you know that the devil can't do it? And here's what I say. I want you to think about this. Let's just imagine the devil could cause us to lose our salvation. Let's just theoretically say that's possible, okay? <clears throat> well, if the devil could do it, he would do it. And if he could do it, he would do it for every Christian. And that means no Christian would get into heaven. But it's worse than that. If he could do it, but he doesn't do it, you know what that would mean? That means that we're not saved by the grace of God, we're saved by the goodness of the devil. Now only graduates of certain schools would believe that, and I don't even have to name them, you know who they are. It's impossible. Jesus said, nobody, no one, you can't do it, the devil can't do it, all the world can't do it, culture can't do it, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. But the bigger question is this, the bigger question is not how secure are you. The bigger question is, it's not a good way to put it, but how saved are you? Because all this sounds good. See, people, people say, and I've heard this, man, you shouldn't teach this. You, you shouldn't teach, why not? Well, then you'll teach people they can live any way they want to. I mean, you know, once saved, always saved. That's what they say. And I don't even say that, by the way. I don't say once saved, always saved. I say once truly saved, always saved. Because not everybody says they're saved is saved. And I'm telling you, there are people in this world, they're counting on this right here to get into heaven. Hey, Jesus said, nobody snatched me out of his hand. Jesus said, I'll never perish. Jesus said, I have eternal life. He did say that, but before he said that, he said this, 
Do you hear my voice? Do you follow me? Do you do what I ask you to do? Let's check your finances. Let's check your calendar. Let's check your lifestyle. Let's check your actions against your words. No, I don't want you to doubt what you have, but I don't want you to think you have what you don't. That's why Paul said, you better examine yourselves to see whether or not you're faith. That's why Jesus said, before I tell you the good news, let's just make sure you know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who hear my voice. I'm talking to people who I know. I'm talking to people who follow me. I'm talking to people who don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. I'm talking to people who are the same way on Monday they are on Sunday. That's who I'm talking to. That's where every now and then even I, I've got to say, Lord, I want to make sure I'm one of your sheep. I want to examine myself to make sure, Lord, and, and just, just for the record today, I'm sensitive to your word. I'm listening to you and nobody else. That's why, and I don't mean to say this arrogantly, that's why some of the things I say up here when I preach, I know, it, I know it's offensive. I know it'll cause some people to lose, leave our church. I know it'll cause some people not to come to our church. And I'm gonna say this one more time, and I'll say this arrogantly. I don't care what Congress says. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. All I care is what God says. On any subject, it doesn't matter. Name it, gay marriage, homosexuality, fornication, adultery, name it. I don't give a rip what anybody else says. I wanna know what God says. That's all that matters to me. So let me close with this. I never heard of this before. By the way, I just now woke up. <laughs> all right, listen. I never heard of the Cheyenne military complex. You may not have either. Listen to this. It is the most secure, safe location in the world. It is located under 2,000 feet of granite in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's a nuclear blast-proof facility. It's home to the North American Aerospace Defense Command, otherwise known as NORAD. It has its own self-contained power plant, water supply, heating system, hospital, everything you would need to keep operating. It's the only place in the world that can keep operating during DEFCON 1. 721st Mission Support Group Deputy Direct Stephen Rose told Airman Magazine you could compare it to an underground city. It is the only high altitude facility in the world that is certified by the Department of Defense to withstand an electromagnetic pulse. Its 25 ton blast doors also protect against any biological attack or any nuclear attack. So in other words, if you knew that all the enemies the United States had on this planet was gonna unleash every biological and every nuclear weapon they could. The best place in the world, the safest place in the world to be is the Cheyenne military complex. But you read the fine print, there are three things even the Cheyenne military um, uh, complex cannot protect you against. So I just warn you. The tongue lashing you get from your wife when you forget her anniversary, it can't protect you from that. Your parents telling you about how much tougher they had it than you did, it can't protect you from that. Your children being spoiled by their grandparents, it can't protect you from that. But actually, the most secure place in the entire universe is to be a son or daughter in God's family or to be a sheep in God's flock. Because when you stand in the palm of God and you're surrounded by the presence of God and you're secured by the promise of God, you can know that your relationship with God is forever 
and for always. Let's pray together.